This is Jivile, and you are listening to Less Stress Podcast. Less Stress is a platform exploring all parts of the human experience, forming it into one holistic being. In this episode, I talk to my somatic therapy and the discipline of authentic movement teacher Cornelia Schmitz. To me, our conversation felt as a present pulsation of a living cell. True, unrushed, authentic, unusual, rhythmic and nurturing. We felt rather than talked, yet both sensing, feeling and thinking can be found in this reflective episode. From Cornelia, I am learning active listening of my inner and out environments. Not simply what it says verbally, but also how the energy, emotions and sensations emerge. She's a living example of embodied living, communication and compassion. Cornelia Schmitz began to practice authentic movement in 1990s. As a student of Linda Hartley and then in 1998, she began practicing the discipline of authentic movement with Janet Adler. The practice has become central to her work and life, bringing her a deep sense of recognition and the longing to be as close as possible to her truth as an embodied human being. Leah has worked in hospitals, psychosomatic as well as psychiatric, and in counseling centers. She did three years of scientific research in the Lower Saxon Institute for Criminology. She holds lectures and courses concerning the immune, endocrine, and nervous systems. She also finds expression in visual arts and writing and has followed a healing tradition of inner guidance since 1983. Cornelia Schmitz has a diploma in psychology, in integrative bodywork and movement therapy, and has completed training program as a gestalt therapist and body worker, a client-centered psychotherapist, and as a psychodynamic psychotherapist. She has done extensive studies of various forms of somatics since 1981, particularly creative dance, contact impro, craniosacral movement therapy, vocal expression, Aikido, and Qigong. I am truly grateful to have Cornelia here today, so let's dive in. So, uh, good morning. Um, I'm so happy to have you here on this podcast today. And um, yeah, so um, I really would like to start with this uh, little quote of yours. Um so uh, as I was reading, you said uh, human development is directly rooted in our embodied presence and essentially interweaving with it. Uh, I really would like you to ask if you could elaborate on that a little bit to the start. I'm very happy to be here with you, Jivile. I feel, I feel honored by your invitation and even more honored when you choose something that I said or might have said for beginning. First of all, I need to say that human development, our development as embodied human beings here on Mother Earth is something that I'm very passionate about and deeply interested in. So what, what is it that we are doing here and how does it um, unfold? How does our human embodied presence here um, unfold? How does it develop? And when you mention the, the, the fact that we are embodied, this is 
how we are here in these bodies with arms and legs, long arms and legs. So I would say definitely made for moving. And with all these, oh, all these very refined tissues and physiology and anatomy, it's just amazing how we are made. And uh, to me, it's not only how we are made, but also we have this, and this is of course part of how we are made, but on another layer, we have this amazing possibility, this amazing resource, I would say, of having access to conscious awareness. Or maybe conscious awareness having access to us. Which obviously or seems to be part of how we are made. And this is one of my, uh, I would say, one central feeling that I have so far. It might change in a half hour or tomorrow. But so far, I would say to invite conscious awareness into our tissues or to, um, to find access to the presence of conscious awareness in our tissues. So there are so many ways how to put this. This to me feels central in our development on Earth. Um, yeah, and in in some way, um, this term or even this practice of embodiment, uh, I could still feel perhaps that um, it still kind of exists slightly in the margins. Um, so in the margins. In the margins. So it's um, like outside of the uh, of the center center of the human existence i would say mm -hmm. in in the cognitive understanding of yes. course not in its essential sense but in our um cognitive understanding as humans i would say in our everyday life um because uh in so many ways um when i approach um you know people to discuss this term of embodiment um it's not exactly necessarily understood you know by by everyone, even though we all experience that, um, yeah. So I just always wonder how why is that uh, why is that the case? Um, yeah, just wanted <laughs> to share that a little. Um, yeah, so uh, that that's why it always surprises me um, that even though this is such a felt state in our being, but uh, um, yeah, it's it's not always. Um, Again, there's a, there is a problem. It feels like it's not a problem, but uh, we don't really know how to feel embodied. I would say. Um, Aha. So uh, how yeah. interesting to put it like this. Yes. Yeah. And what did you say about the margin? Did you say the 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 potential for conscious embodiment exists in the margin? Did you say uh, that? <clears throat> uh, what I was saying more that. Uh, in the in the human understanding so uh, in the societal i guess more in the societal understanding um that 
that existence or that state of embodiment is more happening, you know, in this in the margins rather than at the center of uh, our everyday lives. Now um, I get it. Yeah. Well, now I get mm, it. Yes. What, what do you think about that? Feel about that? <laughs> well, I love to. I love to place it. it uh, when I listen to you, it, it, it feels to me like placing it. And and if if I just follow what I'm seeing now, I see it being placed around, maybe at both sides. Given the given the situation that a margin might be all around a maybe cultural. Um, Uh, mainstream practice I have this sense of maybe um, uh, conscious embodiment containing offering a container and I love this sense right now in this moment and I'm very um, yes I feel delighted about how you offer it and I fully agree with you. This is not at all a um, central um, mainstream intention in our culture to live conscious embodiment. And my and this is such a funny way to look at it because in my uh in the spaces where i live <laughs> it is central <laughs> so maybe i live at the margin or maybe because i do not so much feel like living at the margin maybe from the margins it's already interweaving maybe tiny little fibers interweaving all through. And um, maybe they are not so recognized by, by everybody. And I could, I could feel um, this uh, sense of your own embodiment in, uh, um, in between the words you're saying, you know, in, in, in the pauses. And uh, I know um, from my experience, I know how important uh, you actually um, keep the pauses, <laughs> you know, those little moments of, uh, um, of silence where I think there's, um, there's that space of integration somehow um, uh -huh. for me. Oh, interesting. Yes. How interesting. Um, yeah. I experience them as moments of listening to my experience. Hmm. And I need to add something to what we have just spoken because it can so easily happen to, to value conscious embodiment as higher than everything else, maybe as higher than cultural mainstream, for example. And I do not at all want to um, do that. This is not at all my intention. Some of us are completely passionate about this. And others, other human beings, are completely passionate about something else, which is just at the core of their lives and essence of being. 
and need to honor how different and unique we are as individuals. Absolutely. It's not uh, that we want to necessarily say that this is the right thing and this is the wrong thing <laughs> of no, experience not at, all. at all. Not at all. We can never know that, yeah. what yeah. is right and wrong. I, I would say we never know that. We have our funny human little um, cognitive sphere where we always try to figure out right and wrong. And on another, from another perspective, I would say we really cannot know. It's just so interesting to experience all the um, layers of uh, what is given, I guess, to be a human. So, at least for me. Um, yes. 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 The okay. layers of what is given to us as humans. Yes. I need to, I need to echo what you're mm. saying. Yes. It's, um, it's beautiful. So I feel that we can um, slowly turn towards um, this, um, the practice, I guess, um, your practice <laughs> and the practice of what you do and um, that um, the therapeutical aspect of your, of your work and, and um, that includes, you know, the IBMT, integrative body work and uh, um, discipline of authentic movement and all the other things um, you do and uh, uh, please uh, correct me if um, if I'm wrong but um, as I can see the center of it there is of course there is embodiment and then there's an, this another um, well you can call it term um, uh, the compassionate uh, witnessing mm. uh, which also includes uh, not just the witnessing uh, of um, of another, but also the kind of development of the inner witness. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so this this term is 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 huge and um, and it's so so wide and so spacious. And I feel um, uh, for our listeners, we need a little bit of direction in in, in that one um, to understand it. Um, because I feel uh, this is such a crucial um, thing, you know, to uh, to ha- to have the inner witness inside, and um, but to to have that, we also need the outer witness. Um, so for the inner witness to be established, we need the outer witness, and it's such a and it's such a um, kind of this cosmic play and dance that. Um, uh, we need to establish. Um, so, uh, yeah, just really, uh, I would love you if you could uh, talk about that. Yes, I'm happy to do that. And I love to hear how you name it, the cosmic play. And I see the gesture of your hands when you when you speak that. The cosmic play and maybe a cosmic interplay between inner and outer witness. And... I, I I fully agree with you saying that we need the outer witness for our inner witness presence to develop. Here again, we have the developmental aspect to develop into a reliable, comp- compassionate presence. 
Mm-hmm. I would say that um, maybe we all, maybe it's too big, but I, I try to say it like this, maybe we all have an inner witness. And um, what we do in the practice of, um, for example, the discipline of authentic movement, where the development of the inner witness is really at the center, um, at the core of what we are doing, is to provide a safe space. And our experience is that when safety is present, enough safety that our inner witness can begin to let go of harshness of projections of interpretations of judgments and this is one thing to to provide a space that feels safe enough so that these can Somehow I make a gesture of these falling away to the outside when I say let go. Because my experience in this moment is that the compassionate, reliable witness, inner witness, outer witness, is, lives in the core of us as potential. So it's not like learning how to do it in, in the sense of implanting it but rather like allowing all that might be um, wrapping it to fall away to give space to this I would say uh, profoundly lightful light-filled light-filled presence and one One aspect, very important aspect, as I named it, is doing what we can, and here it's really also the doing, to, as I said, provide a safe space, a safe outer space. And part of this is, in a way, um, teaching about how, for example, projecting or interpreting or judging, how this can develop into knowing, into knowing our experience and owning our experience. My sense is when in the practice we take the space for exploring a little bit around our, for example, harshness, projections, interpretations, etc., that we always find at the core of this a deep knowing. A deep knowing about what is true for us. For example, if I say and feel, oh, this person is so beautiful. Um, Of course, this might be deep intuitive knowing. And it might as well uh, have a sense of 
projecting something. And I'm not saying that projecting is bad, not at all. We all do it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But in particular, in the practice of the discipline, we offer the opportunity to see if you might own a little bit more of your experience when you express your experience like, oh, this person is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Maybe exploring a little bit, what do you know in your own experience in this moment? Is there, for example, a, a deep sense of, oh, things in my body falling into place when I see this person? Or is there, for example, an experience of maybe a moment where my breath completely shifts? Maybe a little moment of, and then breathing. Mm. Like maybe a tiny little moment of recognition Mm. of what I might name beauty or or an inherent order, or so. What I'm trying to to show here is um, to how we can own and and bring towards ourselves even more mm-hmm. um, our experience. How we can come even closer to what is true to us in this moment. And our embodied experience. I wonder <clears throat> why is that then um, I just it's really I, I guess just a hypothetical question rather than um, presuming anything but um, so why for example we, with one person we feel um, more connected both internally and externally and for example with the other um, you know, much less, even if we feel disturbed or, or triggered and reactive. And, you know, it can be, it can happen even in the same day. <laughs> um, so, you know, we can, of course, we can then start think um, if we're less aware of our emotions and our bodies and our sensations, we can start feeling, oh, we should avoid, you know, this person because because of that person, we're feeling this way. So we should not. Um, meet anymore or something like that but i wonder is that really the case or is it what what is it lacking if i even can use this word um what is it is it the there's no um shared allowance between uh us two or is there lack of presence uh what is that lack of empathy um you know what can it be? Why there is sometimes such a big difference between um, in relationships, I guess, in, in, in general? What can it be? What can it be that happens among us people who so clearly need each other and who so clearly have the deepest potential from connecting to each other from our depth and to live together on, on planet Earth? 
how can it be that at moments we are so reactive and so um, maybe even allergic and um, how how can it be that we can uh, suffer from such discomfort that we can hurt each other how can this be and I I hear you assuming that something is lacking this is one possibility to say something is lacking otherwise this this could not be like this i mean who would who would design such a situation how can it be i'm first of all in contact with deep personal and collective suffering about how our sacred potential of connecting can really be completely um, maybe distorted and from one layer you were naming the layers of our um, presences of human being um, being human from one layer, I would say nothing is lacking. It's, it's really our invitation, our very challenging, at times very challenging invitation to develop. And I'm so aware that development is, I think, in one of your first questions of today. I, I feel that, we, that this is how we are made to... And I, I want to bring another term, which is to unfold and to evolve. And in the best case, I would say, uh, I, I can look at these places of suffering in human relationship, both in, in dyadic or small groups and in large collectives, bringing so much suffering to each other. Um, I hope, it's my hope, and maybe a deep trust, that we can look at it as um, challenging invitations for transformation, happening through us, and with us, and among us. And this... This has a little different taste in me than development. I, I want to bring, I want to explicitly name this taste briefly, which is, in my personal experience, a little bit more about not only doing, but also receiving, receiving transformation, allowing that we are transformed. And... Um how that allowance can happen because i feel like so there's um three things that coming to me right now in the in the field of consciousness and so the first one was when you were saying um this um transformation happening um in us outside us and um in between us so this for me um feels like a like a kind of a resonance, you know. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a resonant body. So again, it's somehow connecting with the body and uh, something that is moving and alive and fluid. And um, 
again, you know, it's it's movement, it's aliveness in this and fluidity um, in that transformation somehow for me. Um, so that's that's I guess one thing. And the other thing, when you said um, this allowance for us to be transformed, um, it comes somehow these two terms of will and surrender. So when do we actually willfully engage with that transformation? So it moves us somewhere, you know, from from one state to the other. And then do we completely surrender and let be transformed and moved? So this is such such a such subtle things. Um, so I feel like I need your help a little bit in here to um, to land somewhere with that i guess yes oh i love your questions really and i need to bring in something else again because because when i hear you name again what i said that transformation happens in us outside of us and among us i need to name the cosmic field that you name before the cosmic play it's really a very um, anthropocentric perspective, in a way, from which I speak when I say in us, outside of us, and among us. It's, it's in life. It's in the cosmos. It's in Earth. It's in the sun. It's in the universe, I would say, that these... Um, how did you say it, that this aliveness and fluidity is present? And mm -hmm. when, I, when I get this correctly, uh, I hear you asking, um, how do we know when it is time for will and when it is time for surrender? Did, did I get this right? Uh, yes, I guess in that uh, allowance um, for transformation. Yes. When do we, how do we use those two uh, qualities into such a, such a profound and active uh, event? Yes, how do we use them? First of all, I'm, I'm very happy that you named them because this whole, again, field between will and surrender such an such such a um, maybe maybe using your words alive and fluid area and field and how do we use it i don't know if we even use it at moments, it feels like that, that we use it. <laughs> I also love to bring the other perspective, which again is a little bit dualistic now, what I'm doing. The other perspective to say, um, maybe they use us. Maybe they make use of us in the best sense of using something or or using potential maybe they are present and use us maybe our will comes in and says 
It's up to you now. Do it. I'm just making up things. And um, when I name this other perspective, one is using will and surrender, and the other being used by them. I'm not placing two, but I need to mark the field in between. Because the relationship between them, the relationship between will and surrender, how much is this quality present? When does it transform into the other? When is it pure will that I feel? When is it will moving into surrender? Or completely full of surrender? Will full of surrender? I, I need to name all these possibilities of how they live with each other. And it's often our human mind that has the great potential uh, to say it's this one or that one. That's how we begin discerning. That's how we begin learning. It's this one or the other. And then I would say in our development, there comes the moment when we feel ah, there must be a third option. It cannot be just this or that. There must be a third option. Mm -hmm. And in, in me personally, this is always a moment of great relief. We really can get caught into, is it this or that? And of course, there are situations where it purely this is present. And we only know that it is purely this. We can only recognize this when we have a sense of the other. Otherwise, we wouldn't recognize it as this. I'm speaking very generally now. I don't even know if this is really true, but... This is how it feels to me in this moment. For me, it uh, comes um, the sort of this experience with you um, during the um, discipline of the authentic movement uh, seminars. So it was. It's more, um, of course, my experience. Uh, but uh, there was such a profound. Uh, I could feel such a profound allowance. Um, for both uh, so-called negative and the positive um, emotions and energies to come out. Um, I, of course, it sounds now dualistically, but um, this is exactly when I felt this third uh, uh, point, um, where in which one the negative and the positive as such, they somehow blend into this and bring the transformation and and um and and it's really so so unlike we are used to in this uh, society to to see things you know because we we so much see it as as black and white and uh, if it's um if it's if if, if the uh, emotions are um negative so they're supposed to be negative. We even supposed to. Um, I don't even know how to say that now, but uh, we don't allow most of the time um, the negative emotions to transform us, as you said before. So 
the question for me arose um, when our nervous system is dysregulated. So what I'm trying to say that we don't um, feel that we can trust our inner witness or our inner awareness um, and thinks uh, for us um, we, we p- perceiving the world uh, through some kind of a glass which are can be distorted by many um, you know implications like upbringing and, and, and traumas and uh, and different uh, difficult experiences so then I wonder how do we know <laughs> First of all, I guess, that what we feel and what, how we perceive and how we interact is true, really. How do we trust that? Especially in such a actually traumatized society. Yes. How do we know that? How do we know that what I experience in this moment is really true for me? Yes. Yes, this feels such an essential question to me in life. And I would say in moments of grace, we do know. There are moments where we, where we are blessed with clear knowing. And there are many moments when we do not know, is this really true or not? And we are with the question. And there might be moments and maybe also many moments when we are convinced that this is true what i feel and 10 years later we know that it was not completely true (laughs) or as what comes to my mind is the situation that i feel right quite often that i need to speak something that feels true to me in this moment And after speaking it, I can feel that something else is true. So what what I um I think what I need to say is, um, I hear you naming before the aliveness and fluidity. And and my sense is that this might be true for truth, for 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 let's say truthfulness as well that it's not a pillar made from concrete truthfulness but that it is an alive and fluid journey Uh, and the question is this really true might be an essential ingredient of it. I I feel when you when you name this, how do we know? I enter a state of even more deeply listening. And to me this question, how do I know that this is true for me? Feels to me like a gem maybe a diamond in in our journeys towards conscious embodiment so in um in that process um because i feel that uh 
allowance uh, for the transformation, um, in other words, can be called healing as well. Um, I wouldn't you know. say that. I would put it differently. If I may come in here? Of course. I would course. say that the allowance can precede healing. And I'm so glad that you named this term again because I, I am aware that it feels important in your questions, this term allowance. Yes. But, but you were going to say something. Please continue. Yes, as you said, allowance preceding uh, precedes the healing. Mm, that's absolutely. And again, it's, from, it's making space uh, for that to happen. How can we, um, in our journeys, I'm going to now generalize a little bit, <laughs> in our journeys of, um, of healing and, and healing the personal trauma or, or more on the collective level um, can be ancestral, you know, Definitely. as well. Um, yeah. How do we um, include um, not our, you know, cognitive mind, so we're not changing just, you know, how we think or how we perceive or how we even feel, but also the sensations, how we include uh, the our somatic body, so yeah. this whole nervous system that exists inside our uh, physical bodies as well, um, because I I could I can feel more of more uh, of that emergence um, in the world to bring the body as well <laughs> into the the emotional collective and trauma healing as well. So so can how can we? Could you even, I don't know, how do you see that um, when we include the body in healing from your perspective as a, as, a, as a really, as a master of so many years of doing that or just as an experiencer? Um, how, I, I need to echo your question again. How can we include the, the felt body? I, I name it a different, a little bit different. The felt sense of our body into into transforming into healing i feel that this integration of how we feel our body how we feel our emotional feelings how we are aware of our imagery how we are aware of let's say gravity working on us or physical forces being with physical forces how we can be include all this into our awareness to me this feels like an integration that happens on its own and i know it's radical to say that and this is definitely not all that i need to say about that um in my practice, um, of course, when I'm teaching IBMT, this, this is what we are all consciously dedicated to in the studio, to, to learn how to do that, to practice this, to, to, to enjoy this. And uh, in my practice, in my practice where I... I offer individual psychotherapy 
this is not the the central intention sometimes for clients to come to me and still it happens and um I, I feel that this is part of our journey, that more, more and more of our possibilities to, to sense inner and outer and to feel who we are in this moment, how we are in this moment, that more and more of this potential unfolds. And... Um, I'm so aware of your question, and now I take only part of it and say, what can we do? And to me, this feels like the most burning question in this time on Mother Earth. What can we do? Facing all this that happens, what can we do? And it might be that... It is highly valuable to be with this question and to allow, to allow it to um, work in us, <laughs> to allow it mm -hmm. to live in us, to live in our resonant body, as you say, to live with its own aliveness and fluidity. So what I need to say is that sometimes it's about creating space for our questions and for our being with our questions and then maybe living into the responses that we do not necessarily have to figure out but we might live into them. Maybe... Others do completely have other questions. I am saying now, I'm naming this as an essential question, what can we do? This might be completely different for others. And to me, I need to, uh, to honor and to acknowledge the preciousness of our questions. And this is what I feel so much in our conversations. Now, in our conversation, I feel each of your questions as ah, as a gift, as a gift from your presence this morning here. And of course, I know that you're that they are not not just coming to you now, but that you have been exquisitely preparing for this. And still, I feel them, each of them, as very alive and maybe this is one thing that we can do and that we can also do together to really hold hold our questions and when i say hold i'm putting my hands with my palms i open to i'm not i'm not closing them towards each other but putting them with my palms open besides each other my hands and um, allowing our questions to to live in each cell of our body 
Mm. Of course, in our nervous system, as our nervous system is the place where everything that happens in our body is recorded. And still, cells, the cells, the nerve cells, as well as the blood cells, as well as bone tissue cells, as well as muscle cells, or I did not, I did only name some. Yes, really allowing us to live our questions. And one very interesting piece in that can be to to figure out or to allow into my awareness what is my central question in this moment. Just just feel um, very much uh, in the present moment, <laughs> which is... Um, I, I could I could feel a little bit that um, I was uh, a few moments uh, slightly nervous that I couldn't uh, bring uh, all the questions that I had. Yes, uh, I'm aware but, of uh, but <laughs> but now I actually don't feel so worried about that mm-hmm. at all. Um, and uh, yeah, so thank you, thank you for that. Mm. When I say I'm aware mm. of that, of course I cannot be aware of you being nervous, but I'm aware that the questions have, that there have been questions that we did not touch so much now. Yes. Mm. And because I am uh, so aware of your time as well, um, so if uh, you allow me, I, I would bring the last one to <laughs> Of course, to, uh, which will be, I think, even something that I didn't really had mm. <laughs> on, 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 on my preparation list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I just it feels so important um, to bring that in the current moment of existence, uh, the collective, the collective existence. And for me, it seems so crucial. How can we be? in this moment of such difficulties, uh, how can we be uh, holding witnesses for each other? Mm. And uh, the ones that give each other the allowance for transformation rather than blocking and judging and, mm. uh, and stopping and uh, um, not allowing, I guess, to mm-hmm. ch- for actual change to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. How can we, in this very difficult situation, be witnesses for each other? Yes, yes. What a question, yes. And I also hear you so clearly naming what it should not be and what it should be. So the longing, the longing for allowance to be present. The longing for allowance to be who we are. How can we connect to each other in a way that allows each of us to to be who we are? And one thing that comes to my mind to say is... um, to try to connect... from where I am to where the other person is. 
this this to me in this moment feels so crucial that I'm really here with my feet on the ground and from here maybe with an open heart or maybe with a less open heart depending on how difficult my personal situation is in relation to the difficulties connecting to the other how I can feel and see the other to connect to connect to from from the longing of clear seeing with my feet on the ground where I am my sense is that this longing that this longing to clearly see the other and to clearly be seen and feel seen in a connection among us that this somehow um, can feel like a ground, a fruitful ground. That's really profound. And I could just again say one more time that it feels so spacious. Um, it just feels spacious, I guess, <clears throat> in the, the field of consciousness currently. That's ah. what I can report. So thank you. Thank you so much. And it was just, um, I could, I feel I, like it was a journey, mm. uh, which will uh, absolutely continue happening after I stop this recording as well. And, um, and thank you for allowing that uh, open space. Mm. Thank you so much, Jevili. Thank you. Thank you for coming to the end of our conversation. I truly hope you take something from it and bring it with you. I just want to remind that if you want to support the growth and continuation of our podcast, you can do it on Patreon by donating any amount you like. Our account is simply less stress. If you would like to have more information of uh, what courses, seminars, and news are going in less stress life, you can check that currently on our Facebook account and Instagram. So thank you so much once again for listening, for being, and for connecting. This is Jevila, and you're listening to Less Stress Podcast. Mm-hmm.